We're going to dig into the Word of God here in a moment in Luke chapter 14. But my premise this morning as we continue in our series in parables is essentially that we're all selfish. We all are driven by self-centered instincts, the instinct of self-preservation and self-promotion. If you don't believe me, just observe how people act at a party when the food gets put out. And you'll see those selfish instincts come out, right? You know what I'm talking about. So last weekend, I had the privilege and the joy of marrying uh, Ben and Corinne. And I had a few things to wrap up at the church uh, to clean up, which meant that when I got to the reception, there was already the majority of the people that were there ahead of time. And so I walked into the reception hall, and what do you think I did? I made a beeline for the appetizers, right? Now... As I approached the line of the appetizers, I noticed there were some young men who shall remain nameless, some young men standing there who already had pre-used plates in their hands, which told me, hey, they're getting seconds, right? And so I pulled rank and said, guys, I'm butting ahead of you because I'm hungry and I haven't gotten anything yet. And then, I, and then I gave him a little tip. I said, the next time you do this, I said, throw the plate away and get back in line. That way people don't know that this is your second or third trip, right? But those instincts come out. They weren't thinking about me. I wasn't thinking about them. I just want the free food. I just am hungry. I'm ready to eat, right? Later in the reception, after they cut the cake, uh, Ben announced that there was a, an ice cream truck downstairs that everybody at the reception had access to free ice cream. Now, you could watch because the people under 30 didn't even wait until he finished their sentence, his sentence, right? I mean, it was just a beeline for the door, rushing down to get in line. What, excuse me, what's the biggest order I can order the, uh, here, right? You, you, people just, those selfish instincts come out at, at a party. Um, I, I had to think of this. Hopefully some of you will get it. But you remember the episode of Seinfeld where George Costanza is at the kid's birthday party and the fire starts in the kitchen? You remember this? And he immediately is making a beeline for the door to get out of this, this crowded party where this fire now is. And he's pushing over little kids. He pushes over the kid's grandma and the walker just to get out the door, right? Now, most of us are not that bad. Okay, but we, we do all have this, this selfishness in us, this urge to protect ourselves, to think about ourselves, to promote ourselves. Now, of course, I say all of this, and we're going to walk up on the hill later and, and have a cookout, and so now we're all going to be on our best behavior. Like, I'm not going to be the guy, right? No, you, after you, after you. But, um, but we're going to see this in our text today. If you, if you haven't already, open up to Luke 14. We've been looking at the parables, these stories of the kingdom this summer. We're going to see three of these parables this morning, and they're all related to banquets, to wedding receptions, to dinner parties. And, and I believe a significant theme running through these three stories is what it means for each of us to resist our self-interest, to overcome that, that urge of self-preservation, of self-promotion. And, and we're going to see here this morning in the text, I think some good principles, even some, you could say, banquet etiquette, right? How to act at a party and not be selfish. But remember... The purpose of these parables is not to make us more polite, right? Remember, these are stories of the kingdom. See, throughout Scripture, the kingdom of God is shown and described as a great banquet, like a wedding celebration, a lavish feast. Psalm 23 pictures our life with the good shepherd as a, as a victory banquet, a table prepared before our enemies where our cup will overflow. Isaiah 25 says that one day the mountain of Zion, all of God's people will gather and it will be like gathering to a, a, a feast of rich food and well-aged wine. Earlier in Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, Jesus said that people are going to come from every corner of the earth and He said to recline at His table in the kingdom of God. 
In Revelation 19, as the Apostle John describes the end of all things, he pictures the return of Christ and his union with the church as a marriage celebration. And all of eternity will be like one ongoing wedding celebration. And this beautiful picture of the great banquet is good news for those of us that like to eat and celebrate. Amen? That's what life with the Lord is like. So these parables in Luke 14 are going to give us a deeper look into what life is like in God's great banquet. And so we're going to pick up here in verse 7, and I will uh, pray for us, and then we'll read uh, just the first section this morning. So Father, as we've prayed already, we pray again that you would help us, that you would come near to us, that you'd be present as we are seated together in this beautiful place, that as we read the Word of God, as we unpack the Word of God, that your Spirit would guide us and fill us, that he would speak to us, that he would call us to walk in joy with you in this great banquet, that he would call us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, to not to live for ourselves, but to live for you. And so speak to us now, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now he, Jesus, told a parable to those who were invited, when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, Do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place of honor to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. Amen. So Luke 14 opens that Jesus has got an invitation to go to, the, to a Pharisee's house called a ruler of the Pharisees. So he's likely at this house of this guy who's, who's rich and powerful. It's the Sabbath day. And so we're told that these religious leaders are watching Jesus. They want to see if he's going to break any laws. Jesus' disciples are likely with him as well. And and there's other followers of Jesus there too. And, and as is typically the case for Jesus, he's much more concerned with the guests than he is with the prominent people. He's much more concerned with some that he sees that are hurting, that are suffering. And he notices this one man at the party who's disabled. He's dealing with dropsy, what we would call nowadays edema. His arms and legs are swollen with fluid. And so Jesus calls him over to the table and he heals him. Jesus' attention and heart is always with those in need. But he did notice one thing about the, the powerful Pharisees that were there that day that he was eating with. He noticed that as they come in, came in, they're all clamoring for the best seats at the table, the seat nearest the host of the party, the place of honor, the most distinguished places to sit in the room. See, apparently they had not yet developed the idea of a seating chart in the ancient world, right? And so, and so banquets were more like an adult game of musical chairs with these grown men all jockeying for position, trying to get up to the head of the table, sitting next to the host. I'm the most important. I deserve to sit here. And Jesus sees this and he, he's thinking to himself, I, I need to address this. And so he tells them a story to teach them a lesson. He says, imagine you get invited to a big wedding feast, a big banquet. He says, when you get to the reception, don't immediately walk up and sit down at the head table at the best seat. Because then if another guest arrives after you that socially is considered more prominent, he said the host of the party might come to you and say, excuse me, I I need need so-and-so to sit at this table. I'm going to need you to, to move down the line. He says, but if the whole table is filled up, 
You're not going to have a place to sit. You're going to end up doing the, the walk of shame and going back to table 27 all the way at the back of the room by the, the bathrooms and the trash cans, right? And then you're going to look like a fool. So he says, no, when you come in, sit in the lowest place. Be humble. Sit at the spot where those who are honorable, who are rich and famous and think that they're, you know, the bee's knees, they wouldn't want to sit there. You go sit there. Then... Then maybe the host will come to you and say, no, 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 please don't sit in the back. Please come up front. We have, a, we have a place for you at the head table. Someone like you shouldn't be at the back. Then instead of being embarrassed in front of the gathering, you'll be honored as you walk to a better table. Now look, this, this is a good rule of thumb. The next time you go to a dinner party, the next time you're at, a, at, a, at an office meeting, as people come in to choose their seats, this is a good rule of thumb, but this is also a kingdom principle. This is how God's kingdom works. This is how the followers of Christ can best live and enjoy and flourish in the kingdom of God. It's summarized as this principle in verse 11. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself, who is willing to humble himself, he will be exalted. Remember, from the perspective of the world, God's kingdom, we could say, is upside down. Right? It looks upside down. In God's kingdom, the, the way up is to go down. The way to prominence is through humility. This is how our Savior Jesus led us and showed us in His life and in His death. And so we can choose, Christian, you can choose to live a life of self-promotion or you can take a humble position. So at the wedding last weekend... As is often the case, when my wife and I arrived, there's a, a seating chart out in the lobby, right? And so you look at the table numbers to find out where you're seated. And we said, oh, look, you know, table 16. There's some people there that we know. Looks like we're next to some other people that we know. That'll be so we go in to find table 16. We're looking, we're looking, and next thing I know, we're going a little bit further back and a little bit further back. The next thing I know, we're like all the way in the back of the room at the, the second to last table. And I thought, huh. That's interesting, but hey, that's okay, you know, I'm still here, still hear the music, still, still got access to the same food, right? It was only then when I realized that my, my two teenage kids that were there, that, that were placed at tables with their friends, Oliver was at table 11 with his friends, okay, Jillian is at table 3, like with the bridesmaids. Now listen, all Jillian did was to hand out the bulletins, like I married the couple, they wouldn't be married without me there, okay? Jillian's at table three, so now I'm like, hmm. Jillian's going to get to eat before me. Why, why is she at table three, you know? And so I'm kind of wondering a little bit, but, but I realize. Now, let me just pause. For those of you that are looking at Amanda, wondering if she's mad at me, okay, I gave her a heads up that I was going to tease her a little bit. We're good, right? Are we good, Amanda? Okay. But at a certain point, I think, hey, the Krugs are godly people. They've been around the church for a long time. I bet you they're setting me up, right? Like they're going to call me and my wife in the middle of the ceremony to come up front. They're probably going to seat me right in between Ben and Corinne. Like I'm going to be at the head table in front of everybody. I'll probably get to the buffet line first. But lo and behold, my, my moment never came. And so there I was at table 16. Where, where's Wagner? Yeah, table 16, right, Mike? There you go. <clears throat> had a wonderful reception, by the way. I am teasing. It was wonderful. I had a wonderful seat. Music and food was all a, a, a real, real joy, right? 
But I, but I tease and I, and I say that to remind us the important lesson of humility. And I had to learn a little humility maybe that day, right? This, this principle in verse 11, that everyone who exalts himself will eventually be humbled, but, but he who humbles himself will one day be exalted, whether in this life or in the life to come. And so this principle has, has meaning, has value for us here and now, how you, as a follower of Jesus, make decisions. When you walk into a room, don't assume that you are the best and the brightest and the smartest and the most prominent person. Walk into a room and be humble. Seek to learn from others. Seek to put others above yourself. Don't sit at the best seat, whether it's a banquet, whether it's a work situation. Don't always be the one to speak first. When you're at a work meeting, when you're at a Bible study, don't don't be that guy that has to be the first one to speak every time because he thinks that what he has to say is better and more important and more biblically accurate than what anybody else could possibly say. Be humble. Hold your tongue. Don't think that you're better than others. When someone who's different than you, who doesn't have the life experience than you, or, or from your perspective doesn't have the education or wisdom that you do, when they speak and they share, our instinct should not be to roll our eyes or to scoff or to be critical or assume, well, I've been a Christian longer than them, or I went to Bible school, or they haven't been married for as long as I have been, or they clearly aren't as successful in their career as I am, right? This is that sinful selfish instinct bubbling up in us we we should not be people of self-promotion but people who take a humble position now here's the thing humility is often honored in this life and you can talk to craig after service and he will tell you that in the last few years some leadership books have figured this out even secular right career books have figured out that humility is a good thing of course we've known that all along from the word of god And sometimes in this life, you do get called up from a lower seat. Sometimes those that are humble, that serve, do get noticed. But even if you are never called to get moved up in this life, it's better to be humble than to be humiliated, right? It's better to be humble and to wait to speak than to be the first one to speak and have your boss or your Bible study leader or your parent correct you and say, actually, that's that's not the case. Right? It's better to be humble than to be humiliated. And remember this, that God always sees and God always knows your humble heart. And whether you are ever recognized by anyone else, and whether your family or your friends or your, your ministry leaders or your, your work supervisors, whether they ever notice your hard work and your service and your humility and how you continually put others before yourself, God knows and God sees. And as long as we continue to walk in humility before God and his kingdom, he will one day lift us up in that great banquet when the time is right. The Apostle Peter would write it like this in 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. He says, Christian, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He may exalt you. To be humble before the Lord means that we're humble before one another. To be humble before one another means that we're humble before the Lord, and it's the humble that receive God's grace. I don't know about you, but I need His grace desperately. And so let's walk in humility. Pick up with me, if you would, in in verse 12. We see another aspect of how our selfishness gets in the way. And it, again, relates to a banquet, to a party, this idea of selfish ambition. Look at verse 12. He, Jesus, 
said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So again, remember the setting. Jesus is sitting around with these prominent, important religious leaders, some of them rich, some of them powerful, and he looks around and he sees the, the, the host that has invited them and he thinks to himself, look at all the people that he invited. He invited the best and the brightest of the community. And so he tells again another story, gives another parable. He says, when you throw a dinner party, don't just invite your friends and family. Don't invite those that are rich because then they're likely to just return the favor. Right? And they're likely to invite your house, invite you to their house for a big dinner. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And in essence, he says, you'll be repaid. They'll be repaying you for your generosity and your hospitality. He says, instead, when you throw a big party, when you have a big feast, invite the poor. Invite those that are overlooked. Invite those that are disabled and underprivileged. Invite the people in your community that have no means to repay you, that have no means to invite you over to their house. Many of them don't even have a house. He says, then you'll be truly blessed. Because here's what happens. When you are generous and you show hospitality towards someone that you know in the back of your mind, well, maybe they'll repay the favor. And maybe if I say yes, you can borrow my chainsaw. Maybe next weekend, you know, they'll let me borrow their tractor. If I, if I help out my coworker with his project, maybe he'll help me out next week when I have my project deadline coming up that's even bigger, right? And, 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 and what happens is the motives of our hearts can be called into question when we serve those who we think might be able to serve us in return. But if you want to have a genuine heart, if you want to know that your generosity and hospitality and service is coming from a place of Christ-like humility, Jesus says, serve those that have no ability to give back to you. Because then when you stand before God at the end of your life, then when you give an account for your life, then it says that God will repay you. And all of those who are righteous in Christ will one day be raised to new life and you'll be glorified in God's kingdom. And we'll stand before God and then the Scriptures say that we'll receive an eternal reward for your gracious and Christ-like heart, your gracious and Christ-like words and actions in this life. And so you can choose, friend. You can either be driven by your own selfish ambition to look good, to get ahead, to serve those who can help you in your career, in your reputation, in your success, or you can stay focused on God's eternal blessing. Selfish ambition may, may get you ahead in this world, but it, it will not in the world to come. And I assure you that whatever advancement you think you're going to make, whether it's your reputation, whether it's friendships, whether it's financially, whether it's career-wise, it's going to pale in comparison to the eternal blessing that God offers, both in the life to come, but even now. Even now, fulfillment comes from God's blessing. Now look, we all know how easy it is to serve people that, that will serve us back, to be generous with those who can be generous back. But there's that, that question in your heart. When you give to somebody who you think is going to give back to you, is there a part of you that's just motivated by a desire to promote yourself and preserve yourself and seek your own selfish ambition? You know, I'm going to get mine. I want my reward. And so I'll do this, but they better do back for me. 
But listen, in the kingdom of God, how do we live in the kingdom of God? In the kingdom of God, we don't just do for those that can do for us. We honor the least among us. Now, Jesus called out some pretty explicit categories there. The crippled, the lame, the blind, the poor. Who are those in our day? Who are those that we could serve, that we can give to, that don't have the ability to repay us? In your office building, you know who it may be? It may be the maintenance staff, the cleaning lady. It may be the janitor that everybody else ignores. Know their name. Thank them. Help them if you have the opportunity. How about in your school? I, I don't know where, I don't know, I, I'm not even going to pretend to know who it is in your school. I, maybe it's the athletes, maybe it's the theater kids, maybe it's the kids that, you know, are, are the goth bad kids. I, I don't even know. But whoever the unpopular kids are in your school, right, that's who you should serve. That's who you should befriend. That's who you should say, but I'm putting my reputation on the line. I know, I know. But think about your standing before the Lord. In your community, in our community here in Southern York County and Northern Baltimore County, that means those who are economically poor, those who are not just economically poor, but are socially poor, that have been forgotten, that have been left out, whoever they may be. Those are the ones that we per- put first. I think about my, my good friend, Pastor David Pinckney, pastors of church with Acts 29 up in New Hampshire. I've known for many, many years, helped bring me into the network. You know his son, Isaac. And, and, and I, I don't know if it's every week or, or every other week, but on a, on a consistent basis, uh, Pastor David goes into a group home into a group home for those that, that are struggling with mental illness and mental disability that cannot live on their own, and he does a Bible study with them every, every week on a regular basis. And he goes and serves them, and he studies the scriptures with them. And then on Sundays, he arranges a volunteer from his church to send a van over to the house and to pick up those from this group home, and they come and they worship at River of Grace Church in New Hampshire. And he's told me, he said, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a rough crowd. And he says, some of them never learned social etiquette. Some of them never even learned basic hygiene. And some of them are loud and can be disruptive. But that church community loves and serves those people and they're a part of their community and they look forward to coming and they look forward to having them. And I thought to myself, you know, if, if the rich and the prominent and the successful from, from, from that surrounding area come to River of Grace Church and, and they see some of those folks and the way that they're treated and honored, they might be turned off. They might not come back. That's okay. That's okay. That community is living out this very principle. Serving those in need and expecting nothing in return. And that honors the Lord, that builds up the name of Christ. It honors Him because we reflect Him. Because God has served. God has been generous. God has been hospitable to you and me and those in need who have no ability to repay Him. And when we do the same, we show that we are God's children. When we choose not to live for our own selfish ambition, but to live for God's eternal blessing, we demonstrate that we truly are sons and daughters of a generous, merciful host. Jesus talked about this in Luke chapter 6. Our Savior said this, listen, He says, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. 
Friends, the Bible talks a lot about our eternal reward. And, and I think it's okay. I think it's okay to live with that blessing and that reward of the Father's good pleasure in mind. To set your heart on Him, on pleasing Him and honoring Him in life with Him. To be merciful as your Father is merciful. To truly show that you are a son or a daughter of the Most High. The one who is kind to the ungrateful. Who loves the sinners. Who does good to those who have nothing to give back to Him. And so that's our call. That's the way that we live. Now you can look at these first two parables and you might be tempted to see them as sort of setting out rules, right? You, you might be like, okay, these are very good, helpful tips. So what you're saying is I've got to be humble, not seek self-promotion. I have to deny my urges for, for ambition and, and that, that urge in me to try to get ahead by pushing others down. I need to deny all those things and then maybe, just maybe, I'll be good enough to make it into God's kingdom. Is that what this is telling me? These are like how you get in good with God if you act like this then maybe one day you'll get invited to the great banquet if, if you sort of put others first. That's not what the Lord Jesus is laying out here. See, there's none of us that can be good enough. None of us that can earn an invitation to God's great banquet. None of us deserve to be there. We are only invited into God's kingdom, only invited to the great banquet by His grace. See, I believe that these parables are not ultimately showing us how to get into the kingdom, but rather they are pictures of what life looks like in the kingdom. Does that make sense? These are not rules for getting in. These are rules for once you've been invited and you're sitting at the table, this is how you live in the Lord's presence, in His kingdom. This is what it means to walk as God has walked, to deny selfish promotion and selfish ambition. And when you do that, it evidences that your heart has been renewed. When you live putting others before yourself, it shows that you've been renewed. It shows that you're a recipient of God's grace. And this kind of life is how we as followers of Jesus can best live in this world. It's how we can best flourish in God's kingdom. Amen? Let's look at this, at this final parable because it shows us that it's only because of God's generous invitation that any of us come into the great banquet. It's only because of His gracious invitation to us, but we are called to respond. Look at, at Luke 14, verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat in the kingdom of God. But he, Jesus, said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five oxen, five yoke of oxen, and, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have just gotten married. I have just married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my banquet. So Jesus is talking about the banquet and the feast, and there's this one guy at the party. He gets excited. We read there in verse 15. And so he cries out, 
And he says, blessed is everyone who gets to eat and celebrate in God's kingdom. Now he's thinking about the future kingdom of God, right? Like eternity. And it would have been common for good Jews at that period to think about eternity with the Lord. And he's probably thinking, hey, this banquet, it's a place where God-fearing, rule-following, good Jews will someday get to go and to be with God, the best of the best. And so Jesus hears him say this, and he's like, i got to tell another story. And he says, imagine a man gives a huge banquet. He invites lots of people, and the invitations go out to preserve the day, and there's plenty of advance notice. And when the day comes and the time arrives for the party to start, he tells his servant, go out to the guests that were invited, those that had responded that they were going to come, that are expected to be there, go out and tell them, okay, everything's ready, now's the time to come. But kind of like what I feel like happens at my house on a regular basis when we do have the opportunity to have family dinner, and I call upstairs, kids, dinner's ready, come on down. And like nobody comes, right? And that, that's what happened. He calls out for dinner, nobody shows up, nobody comes. And he's got to go knocking on doors, inviting people. And then the excuses start. And honestly, these are really lame excuses. One guy's like, yeah, I just bought a piece of property down the road. I got to go look at it. I, please excuse me. Another guy, similar, says, yeah, I just bought, uh, you know, five oxen. Equivalent to saying, like, I just bought some farm equipment. And I got to go, go check it out and inspect it. Another guy's like, yeah, I got married a few weeks ago. Like, I'm out. Now, all of these excuses are like last-minute excuses. Keep in mind, this banquet has been prepared for a long time. The invitations went out ahead of time. The date has been reserved. None of these excuses are even good. They're not even legitimate. It's not like, hey, I, I broke my leg or my wife's in labor or, you know, no. Each one of them is, is caught up in their own selfish pursuits, their own worldly interests. And each and every one of these excuses is selfish in some way. You bought a field and you never bothered to go look at it? Well, then surely it can wait. Like it can wait till tomorrow after the banquet is over. You got married? Weddings in that culture were planned months and months ahead of time. He knew when the marriage was, when the banquet was. Why would that prevent him from attending anyway if he's already married? So no one shows up. And you know how this guy feels? You ever plan a big party and no one showed up? The biggest party I ever planned, probably other than my wedding, was in 2002. I had graduated from four years uh, of seminary. Very difficult. I was like, I'm done. I want to party. Right? It happened to fall the very same month as Simon's first birthday. So we're like, we'll do a combo. So we rented out a big lodge on the Northeast River uh, up in, in Cecil County where we were living at the time. It was going to be an overnight thing. And we planned food and music, a bounce house. We sent out invitations. Now, I will tell you, if the day came for the party and no one showed up, I would have not only been disappointed, I would have been, I would have been upset, I would have been angry. And that's how the master, the host in the parable feels. If you don't know, by the way, right, this is God. He's angry. He's upset. He feels offended. All of these excuses are offensive to him. He takes each one of them as an insult. And so he's furious. He's put time and energy. He's prepared all the food. He's got this lavish party. Food and wine and dancing and, and now no one's coming. And so each of these selfish excuses is a personal insult to him. It's an offense to his hospitality, to his honor. And so he sends the, ma he sends the servant back out. 
He says, well, fine then. Go out into the streets. Go out into the alleys of the city and invite others. Those that weren't on the A list, I'm going to start a B list. They're going to get invited. The ones that were originally overlooked, now they're going to have the best seats in the house. And the servants is like, master, I've already done that. I've already tried to find everybody that I could. And some people have come, but still there's empty seats. There's still room. And so the master says, well, then expand your search. Go outside of the city. Go to the highways, to the places where the people are traveling. They're not even citizens of our city, but go find them. Find the people that are laying along the fences and the hedges of the roads, the people that are too poor to keep going, the too tired to travel, that don't belong in our city. Find them. Invite them in. My house must be full the master says, and we will celebrate. And so he goes from the A list to the B list, and he says, fine, let's go to the C list. They will come in, and they will receive of my generosity, and they will be blessed, and they will be honored. And he says this hard word in verse 24, none of the people who were originally invited, none of them who were originally invited and rejected me will ever taste of my great banquet. And he says the rules have changed, the standards have changed. And this parable is a direct condemnation against the Pharisees and the other prominent religious leaders of Jesus' day because they had rejected him as Messiah. And Jesus, in a not too thinly veiled way, is, is warning them and accusing them. See, the people of Israel were on the A-list. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, they were at the top of the A-list. They were the first to be invited to God's great banquet. But many of them rejected Jesus as Messiah. Why? Because of the same type of selfish excuses that we read about in the parable. And they thought to themselves, well, this Jesus, he's not what we expected. He's too unconventional. I'm not going to follow him. He's not political enough. We need a Messiah that will rise up against Rome. He's asking too much of us. Are you kidding? After all, we've built... He's asking us to give up our social status, to give up our religious power. We're not going to follow a Messiah like that, they say to themselves. And so the invitation would then go out further. And so while Jesus' entire ministry nearly was focused on the lost sheep of Israel, he would lay the groundwork, the groundwork for the gospel to go out to the rest of the world. See, the reference in the story where the master sends the servant outside of the city. This means that the gospel is not just for the religious in Israel, but it's for the Gentiles living outside of the promise. See, now the gospel has been extended. The gospel invitation to the great banquet goes out to all people. The gospel and, 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 and life in God's kingdom is no longer just for the religious people or the good people or the rule followers, but it's for those that have been forgotten, those that have been neglected, those that are the outsiders now get invited to come sit at the king's table. Those that are, are failures, those that are sinners, the addicts, the homeless, the forgotten by society. To the farthest reaches of the earth, Jesus now says, come to my table and feast. But sadly, sadly today, just like the Jews in Jesus' day, many people don't accept God's invitation to the great banquet. And the excuses are just as lame and just as selfish as we read in the parable. And people say things like, well, I'm just too busy. I'm just too busy with other important things. I don't have time for God. Or people say, well, I'm having way too much fun. And I've heard about those Christians, and I think if I, if I go check out God, he's going to tell me to stop doing all this fun stuff, which, by the way, it's not fun anyway. It's just, it's just hurtful and destructive. 
But people say, I, I don't want to give up all that stuff, so I'm not going to go get right with God. Or people say this, this is, a, this is an important one. I don't mean to pick on you young people, but young people, their teens, their early 20s, they say, you know what, I'm too young. I have my whole life ahead of me. I have my whole life to get right with God. And, and there'll be plenty of time to get with God later on. Maybe someday, once I get married and settle down, yeah, then, then, I'll, then I'll, I'll try to come to know the Lord. I, but I've got time for that. Other people say, you know what, I'm just fine on my own. I can handle life. I don't need God because I'm, I'm successful and stable without Him. But ultimately, each and every one of these things are just selfish excuses. See, the reality is when the invitation goes out, God expects everyone to respond, to respond with devotion, with dedication. Now listen, remember, and if you're one of the people that has made one of those excuses that I just mentioned, remember what you're being invited to. Life in God's kingdom is not some lame, boring killjoy. He's inviting you to a party, like a literal celebration with an endless buffet of the finest food and the best aged wine and abundant life as God intended it. God created the world. He knows how the world is meant to be lived. It's an abundant life, an eternal life, an eternal life that begins now, the day that you receive Christ and are transformed that goes on for eternity. And yet people turn Him down. And some today... Maybe you've prioritized your own selfish agenda ahead of God. Maybe you've allowed your own busyness and your own distraction to get in the way. Maybe your worldly plans have become a priority or the pursuit of pleasure or status or success or comfort. Or maybe it's just your own laziness. There's so many things that get in the way. Again, Jesus saw this in his own day. Look at, look at the account in Luke chapter 9. It says, as they were going along the road, Jesus and his disciples, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And so Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That means if you're going to follow Jesus, you give up your comforts, you give up the idea that this world is your home, and you follow one whose home is in heaven. To another Jesus said, follow me, but he said back, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at home. And Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. He calls us to full dedication, to complete devotion, obedience, Love in worship, dedication to God. That's the invitation. That's the call to put your faith in Christ. That's why He came. That's why He died. He died to cut us off from our selfish urges and our sinful nature. He rose from the dead to bring us into a banquet. And you say, I can't have that kind of dedication. I can't, I can't walk in that kind of love and obedience for the Lord. He knows that's why he came. That's why he died. That's why he even now fills you with his spirit. That by his grace, you're empowered with a kind of devotion and obedience that we could not have in ourselves. And so he says, come to me. Come share in my celebration. Come experience true life, abundant life with the God of the universe. Now, if you're here today and you're a, a man or a woman who has responded to this call, 
And, and that selfishness in you, that promotion and that ambitious ambition has, has been crucified with Christ. If you've been transformed, then guess what? You are now in the kingdom of God and you are now part of the great banquet invitation committee. How's that? Put that on your ID card. You're a member of the invitation committee. See, the free offer of the gospel now goes out to all people and no one should be overlooked. And we are called, yes, to go into the CEO's office, to go into the, the best, nicest house on the block to proclaim Christ. But we're also called to go to those that are overlooked, to those that are forgotten, to go out into the streets and the lanes and the highways and the hedges in the city and in the rural places, to the rich and to the poor, to the prominent of this world and to those who are outcasts. Bring them into the kingdom. Bring them into the gospel. And by God's grace, let's bring them into Living Hope Church to grow with us, to experience the joy of the master because the master says to each of us, go out and compel them. Compel them. Tell them what I've done in your life and compel them to come in. Compel them to receive the life that you have received because the house of our Father, the house of the King must be full. And it will be full. And the day that Jesus returns, every son, every daughter whose life was purchased on the cross will be with us in eternity. Amen? Amen. Friends, the worship team is going to come and we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate the house of the Lord that, that one day in His house is better than a thousand anywhere else. And then we're going to dismiss and we're going to celebrate baptism with seven believers who are proclaiming their faith in Christ. And then we're going to go up on the hill. But the worship service doesn't end there because we're going to fellowship and we're going to eat and we're going to party and we're going to get messy on the slip and slide and we're going to have just a, just a taste of the Lord's celebration. He says, come follow me. Follow me into the banquet, into the celebration. But we do have to respond. We do have to deny ourselves. The Lord Jesus said this in Luke 9. He said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Will you stand with me? Will you stand with me and, and hear the call to let go of your life? Because letting go of your life is the only way to save it. See, denying yourself and grabbing hold of Christ, that's where true life is. And so be welcomed today into the Lord Jesus and his great banquet feast. Be welcomed today into the place of love and joy, into a place of laughter and peace, a place where you have meaning and food and drink and music and dancing and the greatest celebration you could ever imagine. And so Holy Spirit, come as we worship and fill our hearts with joy overcome our doubts, push out our excuses, push out those selfish urges that the Spirit of Christ, that His peace and joy would fill us, that we could walk in obedience, that we could walk in joy, that we could offer the gospel to others. Fill up your house, Lord Jesus, this day. Fill up your house that you be glorified.